the Song of Deborah, to be found on page 246 of the Bibles in the pews. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinadab, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing for the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched down from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the God of Israel, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shangar, son of Enoch, in the days of Jehovah, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates but not a shield or spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel, <coughs> princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets <coughs> of the watering places, <clears throat> Sorry. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his builders in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up. Break out in song. Arise, Barak. Take captive your captives, son of Abinam. Deborah's song continues from verse 13. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machia, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, 
Why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came. They fought the kings of Canaan fought. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves. Galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of the tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At his feet, at her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man. Colourful garments as plunder for Sisera. Colourful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this as plunder? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Miranda and Christopher. The task of preaching on this song, the song of Deborah, has fallen to Elizabeth Berridge. Elizabeth sits in the House of Lords as Baroness Berridge of the Vale of Catmos, and she has also recently been, been called to become a member of government. Um, what a week to be preparing the sermon, um, as well as do the day job. Elizabeth, why don't you come up, and let's pray for Elizabeth before she speaks to us. Father God, we thank you so much for Elizabeth. Thank you for the position you have called her to at such a time as this. Thank you also that Elizabeth is a member of our church family. And we thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given her to speak to us this morning. May we listen attentively, Lord as she speaks, and will your peace be upon Elizabeth now as she speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, when I accepted this invitation from our curate, um, I thought that preaching my very first Sunday sermon at my home church of 14 years would be a respite from the day job, until I read the passage. And um, I think if you've ever played Cluedo, this is, the result would be the Kenite woman in the wardrobe of the tent with the hammer and the tent peg. But this is part of our story. And one of the things that has excited me as I've prepared is that one day, 
Deborah wrote this song. She's a poet as well as all the other things we all see. One day we will meet her. We will be with her and be able to talk to her about this amazing poem. And I think I have to see sometimes, and I'm going to date myself now, the Bible and our history as like a huge DVD box set. Obviously, for the evening congregation, I will move to Netflix, for my example. But it's a huge DVD box set. And obviously, the chronology stops around, obviously, the end of Acts. And then we've got the early church in human history and Revelation, the very bookend. So within that huge DVD box set of our history, we are picking out a section. Guy, last week, and by the way, the curate is away. He will be listening to this sermon, and I will ask him to. Um, He started with Moses and Miriam. And at that point in time, the people of God have been freed from Egypt, and they're in the desert, but they are not yet in the promised land. Put that DVD back for a moment, move on a couple of DVDs. This one that we're taking out is when the Israelites are now in the promised land. They've settled and they have divided up some of the land. And we, it doesn't surprise you to realize that this book, Judges, is about uh, the beginning of judgment, a cycle of judgment and blessing. But the first thing, when we read this song of freedom, which is Deborah's song, we've just entered in sort of at the end of the season or the end of the DVD. It's the end of the film. It's the finale. So Simba has killed, banished um, Scar. Robin Hood has just, you know, killed the Sheriff of Nottingham. There's been a major battle of, um, of great proportions. And Deborah writes this song, which is part, some of the oldest parts of the Bible, And this song, though, is the explanation. It's like the last two to three minutes of the film, which explains to you, it's a celebration, and it explains to you some of the things that have just happened during the rest of the film. So, before we begin to look at the song, we do need to put our DVD back and rewind and go to Judges chapter 4, and I'll give you a very brief history as to what this finale relates to. And remember, Judges 4, they are in the land, the land of milk and honey, the promised land of blessing, but they have done evil in God's sight. And God sells them under the oppression of the Canaanites. And it takes them 20 years of oppression before they see fit to cry out to God to be released from that oppression. And that oppression, as Deborah says in her song, has led to the fact they can't travel by the main roads, they can't trade, they can't be uh, displaying any of their weaponry, the 40,000. They're having, it's a time of great oppression for them. Deborah, though, after they cry out, that's when we are introduced to Deborah. Now, Deborah is not a passing person. We know this from the passage in Judges 4 because the court where she sits is named after her which speaks to us that this is where she is. She is a judge, so they're bringing the people of God, are bringing their disputes to her. She is their leader, and she is also a prophet. She is bringing forth the word of God. There is a spiritual part to Deborah's role, not just a civic government part for the, uh, role for the people of Israel. And she summons Barak, the head of the army. She calls him to her, and tells Barak what God has asked Barak to do. 
So she's like in the situation room or in the control room, telling him, this is what you're to do. You're to take 10,000 men, you're to go up Mount Tabor, and God is going to deliver to you Sisera into your hands. Now, Barak's response is, well, commentators say two things about two views of his response, but it's a little bit half-hearted. He says, I will go if you will go, and then says, but if you don't go, I'm not going to go. Now that, to me, that second heart, is actually flagrant disobedience. God has told him, you need to go, you need to go and get your troops and, and go up to Mount Tabor. So the response to that from Deborah and the response from God is not, you're now sacked from this job, but you will do this job, but the honor at the end, the big battle where Robin Hood is going to kill the Sheriff Nathan, isn't going to be yours. That's going to go to our third character in the story. That's going to go to the, to the lady jail. So, in fact, this happens. Uh, Barak goes up to the mountain. Deborah is with him. And the day that they are to get victory is the day that Deborah prophesies. She says, Barak, now today's the day you go out there. And Sisera, who has uh, 90,000, sorry, 9,000, 90,000 chariots, is defeated. The Israelites do not have this kind, kind of warf, warfare machinery. They are handheld infantry. But Sisera flees, and this is our moment of the Cluedo murder. Sisera flees. He is enticed by jail into the tent. He's exhausted. She gives him uh, sustenance. He falls asleep. And she takes a tent peg to his temple, and she kills him. And by the time Sisera catches up, the deed is done, and there's a dead body for him to witness. And I think it's important to note, in both of these passages, the final verse. On that day, verse 23 of chapter 4, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. That is what God had asked them to do going into the promised land. This is, it ends with a verse of obedience. They have finally done what God has asked them to do. You go into the land, you occupy, you dwell it, and you drive out all of these people who are already in the land. So just before she sings this song, we have this declaration that finally, after 20 years of oppression and this battle, we're once again in a place of obedience to God. Now, if we look back, and this is the book of Judges, there are two elements you'll have seen from that passage of judgment. One is the judgment of God on his people when they do evil in his sight, and he puts them under the oppression of the Canaanites, trying to get them to respond and come back to him. And there is also the judgment on the Canaanites for the evil that they have been doing in the land. And I think that's sometimes like us. There are, there are, there's the judgment that we often talk about of our, our sins and coming before God and the things we have done before God. We're like the Israelites going astray. But I think what we often don't think about thoroughly and talk about is what we do with the things like the Canaanites did to the Israelites. What do we do about the things that happen to us that either other people do to us or the systems, the cultures in which we are living do to us, the wrongs that are done to us. Some of them are very direct, and you probably can spring into mind the things that have happened to you, and some of them are diffuse. 
I don't think anyone would say at the moment that we're not all being affected by the environment in which political leaders have created. But I think it's important to, to remember that judgment, that we are held accountable and that we are responsible, is a positive thing. I live near Clapham South Tube Station and every day I come out the tube station there is a photograph and flowers and heather by the lamppost because that was the site last year of one of the murders we've had in London. I think judgment matters to that family. I know that the culprit is in prison for that. And I don't think any of us, when we first read the story of 19-year-old Harry Dunn, the young boy who was, young man who was on his motorbike and had the crash with the uh, diplomat's wife, there's a visceral sense in us of, that can't be right. There must be justice. There must be judgment for this. We kind of like judgment until it applies to us, I think. So here we have two episodes of judgment, but then we end with this obedience to God, and Deborah starts singing her song. And it is her song. She is the author. And I think that we, we can gain from this, and I think from looking at this passage, I don't think this is a discussion between Deborah and Barak and a few others. Normally, the word of God was read publicly in front of the people of Israel. So she is declaring this song in front of all of the people of God who now are going to dwell in the land and the Canaanites are gone from that part of the land. I think the first thing we can see from her song is it's a blend. She's introducing God into this story. Because if we look, if when you read the narrative of Judges 4, God actually isn't mentioned that much. It's much more about the chariots and uh, the battle. She says, God has done this. You have just seen a huge display of God's power. But she also says about the role that people have had in this. And her first thing, the first verse is open up with praise God for willing people. People who knew that this was the moment to step forward into battle, that the word she'd had from God that she'd given to Barak was the word, and they were to follow, and they were to uh, take up arms. And she outlines here the tribes, and that's what we get on to uh, in verses 18 and before that. There are certain tribes that come forward and help, and that was part of the deal for the Israelites. You help each other out when you're driving these people back. So Issachar, Manasseh, Zebulun, Benjamin, uh, Naphtali, and Ephraim, they came forward and they helped to drive out uh, the Canaanites from this part of the land, which is west of the Sea of Galilee. So we're sort of in the central part of Israel. But she also refers to the fact that Reuben, Gad, Asher, and Dan, some of them are over on the east of the Jordan, don't come and join the fight. So we've got willing people, but she also calls out the disobedience of some of the tribes. And she reserves, at verse 23, for Meroz. She says that the angel of the Lord will curse its people bitterly. Now, no one quite knows, despite numbers of commentaries, where exactly that was. But the thinking is that that was much closer to where this battle was. So Reuben, Gad, Asher, and Dan are actually in the periphery. But Meroz is there in the center, and they should have come forward, and they should have helped, and because they haven't, that's the curse that's put on them. But you see, I think she's also praising willing people, because Deborah was willing. If you, in Judges 4, when Barak says, 
I will go if you come with me, and I won't, if you don't come with me, I'm not going to go. She says, certainly I will come. This is not what the women or the prophets would normally do of going along with the warrior into battle. She placed herself in great danger by, by being willing to go with Barak so he would fulfill God's word. And I think we all have cause to give thanks for willing people who come forward. And do we take our time to praise and thank for that? I'm not now thinking about the people who do the rotors and everything here, but this is not the temple. This is not the tent of meeting. This is not the sort of priest's offering sacrifice. This is going out there, facing up to evil, and getting involved in the cut and thrust in business or whether it's at the school gate, etc. The second theme we have in Deborah's song it's very English. She talks a lot about the weather. Because what she's trying to say to them, this is no David and Goliath story, that suddenly the Israelites had a lot of catapults that they could use very effectively. What you had was this infantry who, who were on Mount Tabor. The chariots, now these are huge, uh, obviously metal, like mini tanks, meant to be impenetrable. And they're in the River Kishon. And so what then happens? It rains. And it rains a lot. And so they then become stuck in the mud in the valley. And so they're a sitting target. And by calling on the weather and talking about the weather here, she's saying, it wasn't you that won this battle. It was God who called down the weather on you. And that's why also she introduced at the beginning a song about Mount Sinai. It's to make them remember there was thunderstorms, clouds, and lightning when the covenant was first made with you. It was God who brought down the weather. Now, God is also, I just think, gosh, so complete when he creates these battles and these storms. Because the Canaanites, one of the gods they worshipped was Baal. Baal was known as the god of fertility and of the thunderstorm and the rain. So God is not only giving the Israelites victory, he's basically saying that Baal, he does not control the weather. I control the weather. I am Lord of all. Now, Jenny prayed about turmoil. There is turmoil. God is in control of everything that is happening in our country. And some people say to me, how do you survive at the moment in what you're doing? Well, I found this book of Deborah and Judges 4, this song of Deborah, very helpful. God will judge the deepest secrets and motives of every single person involved at the moment. That is not my role. That brings freedom and release. The only thing you're responsible for is the decisions that you alone are making and what's in your heart. He will judge all of that. And I think we cope better when we actually have the roles right. He will judge all. No one is outwitting God at the moment. So I think this does, this sense of judgment and the fact that this is God's role and God does this, gives us a sense of peace. Thirdly, Deborah is although giving praise to God, and that's one of the purposes of the song, she's very open about her own role. She says in uh, verse uh, 
7, villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother of Israel. Now, that, I think, gives us great courage and great heart. That sometimes, whether it's culture or whether it's other things, women can often be reluctant to put themselves forward. Here she is declaring in centuries, hundreds of years later, we're reading, I arose. Now, the Judges 4 is, I think, you can read the implication, the fact that Barak is disobedient, and therefore the honor of the final battle goes to a woman. There is no sense in this passage, and it is huge reading into it, to suggest that in any way there is any judgment or any there are no men around about Deborah's role. It is just, there's no, there's no declaring like this is the first woman that's done this. It's just there. It's not commented upon. All the people of Israel are coming to her. It is her role. God anointed her and brought her forward for that role. And then the final part of her song that we get to is the Cluedo murder, is the tent peg assassin. Now, we would love it if Deborah had written well. JL was duressed and didn't quite know what she was doing and it was sort of accidental. She tripped and whatever. No, 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 no. No, this, this is a professional hit. You know, the temple, as the medics know, this is the part to go for. You know, this is the weakest part of the skull, so she does know what she's doing. And the women put up the tents, so she's quite experienced that tent peg into the ground and applies that to a different thing. And we would wish it that... Deborah doesn't say in verse 24, most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of he by the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. I think we, we struggle with this because this is a judgment on evil. We're told elsewhere in the Bible what the Canaanites have been up to, and they are evil. There's child sacrifice, there's torture, and it's referred to later on in Deborah's letter when she talks about Sisera's mother waiting for him to come back. Are they not finding and dividing the spoils, a woman or two for each man? It actually means girl slave. So this is the equivalent of people who did to, to uh, people in that part of the world what we saw happening to the Yazidis. This is uh, the kind of evil that is people trafficking. This is the kind of evil that I think... I think, it, I think Bonhoeffer, the 1930s theologian, German theologian, still believed that what he was planning to do was probably wrong, but he was prepared to kill Hitler. I think sometimes we, we don't have a sophisticated theology of evil. That when evil, to, and we see it in ourselves, when it takes hold, and this is part of that judgment on evil. And it's kind of quite ironic that Sisera, who treats women like this, in the, in, as, it, as it says in the song, as sex slaves, is killed by a woman. But he's not only just killed by a woman. God's judgment is coming to release the people of Israel, and it's coming upon the Canaanites. But the, that final battle, that moment that finishes the film before the finale, it's not only a woman... It's not even an Israelite. The Kenites are not part of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're kin. They come from Moses' father-in-law and brother-in-law. But God is bringing his judgment 
releasing the people of God, not even using at the final moment the people of God. And the irony, a bit like Baal and the weather, who made the chariots that protected Sisera and gave him his power and status and position? The Kenites. They're the metal workers. He's killed by a woman from the tribe of the people who were supposed to make his strength and protect him. And then we have, again, when we get to the end of the song, the final verse, which I think is important, like the final verse of Judges 4. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. They have been released from judgment. The Canaanites have been judged. And what caused that release? It's the same as for us and all through the ages, all through our DVD box set. They do one simple thing and the thing we find in terms of God the hardest to do. We just cry out. They had no weaponry. They had nothing. They just cried out to him. But I think also what we see here, this is rare or not ordinarily the case, that God is the God who judges. And here he does use the Israelites against the Canaanites to bring about judgment. Now, I, I mentioned earlier the sorts of wrongs that happen to us. And as I say, some of them are from cultures and systems that we inhabit. But some of them are personal wrongs that are done to us. You know, it's not a situation like with the Israelites where they've done everything wrong and God judged them. We are hit sometimes by betrayal. We are passed over for promotion. Someone uses our, our idea to get ahead. A best friend betrays us. We're cut off from a family inheritance. There are sometimes there are hurts and wrongs that are done to us that actually we feel physically. You can't process it. You can't believe that this has actually happened to you. The kind of thing that the mother of Harry Dunn must be feeling at the moment. We've all known those situations. And sometimes they happen to us when we're the most vulnerable. Sometimes they happen to us in marriages. Sometimes they happen to us when we're children. And we have these wrongs done to us. And I tell you something, they can make you, if you absorb them, weary and burdened and angry. And deep, deep down, even though you often don't admit it to yourself, you are trying to be the judge because you know that what happened was wrong and it should never have happened and you want redress and you want it now. And you want to achieve it now because we, many of us are very quite wealthy and quite educated and intelligent and we can use systems we think we can achieve this for ourselves but I just think that what this is also saying to us that release from judgment isn't just about our own relationship with God it's the release that the cross carried all of that every wrong that was done to you and there is a freedom like Deborah's song when we accept and we may not see the resolution of that wrong in this life. It may be for the next life. But there is a freedom. There is a rest for us as Hebrews talk about. There's a rest for the people of God 
when we get the roles right and we realize that God is judge and God will put all things right when we come to the final box in the DVD box set. And what I believe he says to us today and what he longs and yearns, and I can say from my own personal experience, we can have because of Christ. He wants you to bring all of those wrongs, all of that anger and that scream it at it, complain it at him, cry it at him, shout it at him. And he says one thing to you. I know. Leave it with me.